0: Let's welcome back to the VIN podcast. Very special guest, Lee Varton, defense attorney for uh, Usher Eisenman. Mr. Vartan took part in a lively court appearance last week. Prosecutors are trying to overturn a judge's ruling to vacate Rabbi Eisenman's bogus conviction. And, Lee, can you tell us what happened at the appellate court last week? First, let me just thank sure. you for joining uh, us, by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. A real pleasure to be back with you and your audience. Thank you. So, it, it was. It was a lively appearance. We were in the New Jersey appellate division last week. And because it was a state's appeal, the state went first. And whenever you're before an appellate court, you really don't know what to expect. Um, sometimes you can speak and there are no questions from, from the judges. Other times you have what's called a hot bench where you're peppered with questions. And the state was peppered with questions. It seemed to be, it seemed to me that the the court had real um, concerns about the state's position in the appeal, really challenging the state attorney as to why information was not produced to us uh, before the trial. And when I had my my turn before the court, I had relatively few questions. So we took that and, and take that to be a good sign that. the the court is um, skeptical of the state's position and hopefully more accepting of ours.
0: Very interesting. Now, number one, it's funny when you point out how you don't know what to expect in terms of the structure of it. I, I would have assumed that there's more of a formal, more of a structured type of setup. So, you know, more like, more of like, I feel like it's more of like a Hollywood type of thing where it could be that they'll be peppered with questions. It could be not. But if just to clarify what you're describing, the court peppered the prosecutors with questions and you got very few questions and you interpreted that that the court is skeptical. And that's why the court kind of bombarded them with questions. Before we get to the specifics, yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. and we we always take it to be a good sign if if one side gets harder hitting questions than than the other. It, it, it's It's very difficult to to read into what a judge or in this case three judges may be thinking. But just as a general proposition, if if the court asks questions of one side and fewer questions of the other, Tends to mean that they're siding with the side that they asked you your questions of,
0: right? Looks seems to make a lot of sense now. So I want to hear some of those details, and let me just, in a nutshell, give the background that I'm aware of from last time we spoke, and from. What the, the accounts that I've read, in a nutshell, Robert Eisenman was convicted of the biggest charge money laundering based on a claim that he used school funds to repay a loan to the school for $200,000. And the accusation is, which is baseless, as we've discussed in the past, that it, he made it appear as though he was using his own money. But the problem is there's no evidence of a loan to begin with. There's this one QuickBooks entry, and the bookkeeper who made that entry literally says that. It, it It's not true. Either it was a mistake or not accurate. You'll get into that. And prosecutors withheld exculpatory evidence because they literally did not even tell you about the potential testimony and the potential evidence that would have exonerated Rabbi Eisenman. And now last week, the prosecutors trying to claim that they never they never wrongfully withheld that evidence. So please tell us all about that.
1: Yeah, So that, that's all a, a good summary. Um, the, the the only tweak I would make to it is the state was alleging that the loan was not to the school, but to the foundation, which was the fundraising arm for the school. But, but the short of it is that, yes, you're correct. We, we had provided evidence, um, newly discovered evidence to the court that a particular bookkeeper that no one knew about at the time of trial had come forward to say that. There was never a loan between Rabbi Semen and the foundation, and that she made the quote-unquote criminal entry that the state was focused on, and it was not intended to be any sort of loan write-down. What it was intended to do was to balance the foundation's books. So that's the newly discovered evidence that we came forward with. When the state opposed our motion, they actually appended to their papers a, a printout of a a document from the foundation's QuickBooks that showed that the state a year before the trial knew that this particular bookkeeper had made the criminal entry and the state never spoke with her. They didn't call her as a witness, they didn't attempt to hear her story, they didn't hear anything. And so the heart of the appeal was in many ways around this bookkeeper and this particular document that the state withheld. And when I said that the state was peppered with questions by the appellate division, the state took, you know, from my perspective, the rather incredible position that that document that the state withheld was of, of no moment. I think the state said it wasn't important at all. And and that's a, a gross mischaracterization of the record. And, and the court, I think, picked up on that. They, they said, even if it wasn't, so central isn't it a document that is required to be turned over by the state um, because wasn't that usable by the defense even if you the state don't think it's important maybe the defense does and and so the state was really back on its heels from the very beginning but the the, the key thing to uh, i think keep in mind for you know you and your audience and this is something i put forward to the court, is this particular document was in many ways a whole case, at least with respect to the the money laundering or financial facilitation count. The state was alleging that there was a loan write-down that Rabbi Isman either himself made or directed. And what we had come across by way of newly discovered evidence and what the state had in its file all along is that the entry was not made by Rabbi Isaman. It was made by another bookkeeper. And th- this bookkeeper said that she did not intend to commit any crime. Rabbi Isaman did not intend to commit any crime. So for the state to take the position that this was not consequential, um, you know, was not important, is is really to ignore their own case.
0: It's just amazing. And I mean the report that I saw said that you know the as you say that the prosecutor essentially said that there was no wrongdoing and there was no exculpatory evidence withheld and that in a, the, the one of the judges interjected and said you know you're going with the basis that there was a loan here and you're forgetting kind of ignoring the fact that there's a dispute over whether that loan ever occurred the way i read it was that you know the report that i read said that the attorney at that point flummoxed for a moment before regaining her composure and responding that the QuickBooks entry is all the evidence that's needed.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's an accurate account. But when, when you really look at it, and, and I know it's hard for, for me to do because I'm an advocate, but it, it, if you're coming in and looking at this record just as an impartial observer, it, it's hard to understand the state's theory here because very simply, and this is what I explained through the appellate court, Very simply, they're claiming that Rabbi Isaman owed money to the foundation, $200,000 to the foundation. But as you say, there was absolutely, and still today, absolutely no evidence that he ever owed that money to the foundation. So that's point one. There was never any evidence shown to any jury that actual money was owed by Rabbi Semen to the foundation. And then the second point is the way they claim that phantom loan was written down or, or, or reduced was through a QuickBooks entry. And the state all along knew who made that entry. It was this particular bookkeeper. And they hid that from the jury. They hid that from us. We had the good fortune to find that bookkeeper as Rabbi Isaman was preparing for resentencing. And that bookkeeper tells a story that is opposite of the state's prosecution theory meaning there never was a loan and she she did not reduce a loan so that's really the, the case in a nutshell which is what we explained to the court and i think if you understand it at the very basic level all we're asking for is for a second jury to hear all of the evidence and we believe if a second jury hears all of the evidence including the evidence that the state withheld from us, that there will be an acquittal.
0: Unbelievable. And the way you describe it, yeah, you know, you're at least at this stage of things. You don't have to prove that there was no loan. The issue here is, did they withhold evidence that was crucial evidence, like you said, critical central to the case? So it, like it almost. it I know it, I'm asking you, you know, to explain the other side, and it's it seems indefensible, as you said, at least to me and to you, but uh, literally, you have the bookkeeper—oh, the question is not, was there a loan, was there not a loan? The question was, was this relevant evidence, exculpatory evidence, where they withheld identity of a bookkeeper, and the bookkeeper is the one who put in the entry, which is the entire basis for a loan, other than that entry, the loan never existed, and the the bookkeeper, by the way, says that the loan never existed. So all you need to do is prove it's relevant, like the state here trying to claim— that's not something that's relevant, or that's not something that's central to the case. It's it's like mind boggling.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's exactly right, and and it, it's hard for me to understand why why the state is you know bear hugging so tightly these convictions because if you're looking at it again from a fair minded perspective, it, it's clear at the very least that this bookkeeper coming forward is highly relevant evidence. We're not asking the, the state or the court to um, exonerate rabbis, the men, or, or walk away from the prosecution. All we're asking for is something that everyone in the courtroom should be behind, that a jury hear all of the relevant evidence and make a determination about innocence or guilt based upon all of the relevant evidence. The state shouldn't want to um, maintain a, a verdict, a guilty verdict, that if if I were a prosecutor, I really wouldn't sleep easily over because there's a, a key piece of missing evidence that the jury never heard that very well may change the jury's perception of the case.
0: Right now, from the appeals process standpoint, and I'm just I'm not familiar how this works. Is there a chance that there? I know you're saying, listen, all, all we're asking for is extremely reasonable. Just give us a new trial. Give us a give us a fair trial, which we didn't get the first time around. Is there a chance that there is no second trial? Is there a chance that your case is so strong that it gets dismissed? Uh,
1: it, it, it's, it's a possibility, but it, it's not likely. Um, you know, much more likely would be if the state loses the appeal, the state may choose not to prosecute the case. Because of course, there's no obligation for the state to re-prosecute the case. That's wholly within their discretion.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Was there any strategy? Like, in other words, is there? Did you have two options on the table? Because you know the way you're framing it, which I understand why you're doing that, is saying, "Listen, all we're asking for is a very basic thing: just give us a fair trial." Uh, was there the option that you had to ask for something even further? Well,
1: the the, the issue really comes down to. Um, we lack facts at this point, and it's not for want of trying, but but we don't know why the state withheld the information it withheld. It could have done it purposefully or it could have been done accidentally. Uh, we also don't know what else is in the state's is in the state's files. We had made after we prevailed on our motion for a new trial, we made discovery demands of the state to find out what exactly they knew when, and they refused to provide us information, sought a stay, and then appealed. So the reason I bring that up is we would have a much better chance of seeking dismissal of the indictment, seeking dismissal of the case, if we had evidence that the state's actions here were deliberate. We don't have those. We don't have evidence of deliberate action, but... It's largely because the state has stonewalled us.
0: Unbelievable. Now, I'm reluctant. I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but a little bit more. I have questions about the actual nitty-gritty details here. So as you said, Rabbi Eisenman is not the one who made the QuickBooks entry because it all hinges on that loan. And if there's no loan, then there is no possible crime here because the question is the conviction is based on him not repaying that loan or pretending to repay that loan. So he didn't make the entry. uh, during the original trial where the information was withheld, did you you were aware of that entry, I'm assuming. Did you know who made the entry? Did you know Rabbi Eisman did not make that entry? Did, were you aware about this bookkeeper? What did you know or think? So
1: so we, we of course, knew that Rabbi Eisman had not made the entry because it's undisputed that he had nothing to do with the accounting function for the school or the foundation or the bookkeeping function for the school or the foundation. We did not know at the time of trial who made the entry and that's really in many ways the whole point of the appeal right we had made um a demand a written demand for discovery from the state several weeks prior to trial Uh, among requested was all quickbooks reports in the possession of the state and i told the appellate division that the state responded to our discovery demand They produced certain documents, but specifically withheld this one page that showed that Rabbi Simon had not made the entry and, in fact, was made by this other bookkeeper. So we're in the position that we're in, in large measure, because the state did not fulfill its discovery obligations. Had they turned over that one piece of paper to us, then we would have known about this bookkeeper at the time of trial. We would have been able to interview her we would have heard her story, and he he likely would have been acquitted across
0: the board. Unbelievable. Yeah, and exactly. And I think that's the point. Obviously, the prosecutors withheld that very, very intentionally, deliberately, because they know it's like a death blow to their case. You mentioned earlier that the entry was not actually intended to reflect alone by the bookkeeper's own admission. It was meant to balance the books. And I understand you mentioned, I think, last time that the book's I think we're, the, the bookkeeping was done in a messy way. By the way, it doesn't surprise me because a lot of these nonprofits they're understaffed, you know, and they simply just don't have the the manpower, the resources to be able to balance bu- books properly. I can totally understand that. But can you explain, like, what the thinking is, what why it looks like a loan, or what it means it was meant to balance the books?
1: Yeah, I mean, in in terms of why it it looks like a loan. Um, it, it's all borne out from the testimony of a single state detective. So there was a detective who testified at the trial that he looked at the school's QuickBooks, and there was a, a ledger account in the QuickBooks that he determined, and, and I'm stressing he's, he determined, without speaking with anyone, without talking to anyone at the school or the foundation, that he just decided, in his view, Uh, was a loan account. And that testimony was objected to because the detective, of course, had no firsthand knowledge. He was not qualified as an expert by the state. But he said, in my view, this is a loan account. And he said, in my view, this one particular entry was meant to write down that loan account. So that's all the testimony that was offered at trial. And the bookkeeper has come forward and said, A, not a loan account. And B, that entry was made by me, which by the way, no one disputes. The state agrees that this bookkeeper made that entry. And she says, I made it by mistake because to your point, she's not a CPA. She's not an accountant. Um, She didn't really have any real background or facility with QuickBooks. And this was the result of of that. Um, The foundation, by the way, even though the, the books were, you know, charitably a, a mess, never lost its not-for-profit status. It's still a not-for-profit with the state, still in good standing, because all of the mistakes that were made in QuickBooks were subsequently cleaned up.
0: It's really interesting. Number one, so it's not – I'm picturing like an entry that says loan for $200,000, tour by Eisenman. There's nothing even no. remotely like that. It, nothing they, like that. Like they're able to just take something, which like you said, the, the detective decides that it's a loan account. And it doesn't say it anywhere. In other words, it's frightening. It's frightening that they can build an entire – and by the way, it's a lesson because bookkeeping for any business or any nonprofit, especially if you could potentially be a target, you have to be so, so careful because they can take – like nothing, and turned it into a crime.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's really what this is. Um, They took nothing and turned it into a a crime. And and it's not even me saying that. The trial judge who um, we lost just about every motion, every application we made before the trial judge, we lost. But in sentencing Rabbi Simon, the trial judge said on this particular count the money laundering count he said the testimony he called it rather slim um he said it could have been handled civilly as opposed to criminally and he said that all of the evidence was about 30 seconds to a minute of testimony from one witness the detective in a two-week trial so you know there really is next to no evidence that this was a loan account and this entry was meant to write down alone. And so when you have this bookkeeper come into the picture and say that everything that the state detective guessed at is wrong, when someone comes into the picture and the eye, new eyewitness, the only eyewitness, comes into the picture, you would think that's something that prosecutors would automatically take notice of because who wants to have on their conscience um, a false conviction? But, but the state has been fighting tooth and nail, notwithstanding the rather slim evidence to preserve their convictions. And and that, to me, is troubling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Extremely troubling. I really, as you say, I don't know how they live themselves. I don't know how they sleep at night. I don't know how they look in the mirror. So final question, if you could just describe the next steps at this point. Obviously, the appellate court is going to issue a ruling. And without getting ahead of ourselves, but let's just assume that kind of your gut feeling is correct that they uphold the previous ruling which vacated the conviction so then i guess the state decides how long does the state have at that point to decide i guess whether they go to new trial
1: so um you know i I never like to get too far ahead but for for purposes of answering your question um, i'll presume that the appeals court rules in our favor if the appeals court rules in our favor um then the state would have the option to appeal further. Uh, they could appeal to the New Jersey Supreme Court. If the New Jersey Supreme Court were to grant certification, meaning appeal to the New Jersey Supreme Court is not guaranteed, so if the New Jersey, the New Jersey Supreme Court agreed to hear the case, then the appeal process would continue. If the New Jersey Supreme Court did not agree to hear the case, then the only option for the state would be either to retry the case or opt to dismiss the indictment.
0: Wow. Okay. So the saga, unfortunately, is not over yet. Our right, Lee and I must tell you, you're an extremely special person. You know, I from what I I could tell it just. Speaking to you these couple of times, Rabbi Eisenman obviously is lucky to have him, the Jewish community. Is lucky to have you is is lucky to have you, the community. And I, look, you told us last time how much you admire Rabbi Eisenman, but your passion, your devotion to this issue you're not looking at this as you know a project, a job, something that you have to do as your livelihood. You know, at least this case, and I imagine many of your cases. Uh, you know, the, the way you approach this, so you're so personally invested, and I, I can't describe how much I appreciate and how much I, I'm just an outsider, but how grateful I am to have you.
1: No, I, I appreciate you, you saying that. And, and this really is, um, you know, not a job. It's a mission for, for, for me and for every lawyer who has worked or, or is working on this case. Um, Rabbi Semen is just an incredible human being. The state's own witness, I think I probably told you last time, called him a secular saint. <laughs> um, to the jury, and wow. it, that that witness was, you know, every bit right. So I'm incredibly proud to be working uh, with and for Rabbi Isomen and on behalf of the, the Shai School. And I can't thank, you know, you and your audience and, and the entire Lakewood community and beyond uh, for all of the support that they've extended, incredible support to the Isomen family and to Rabbi Isomen and me. We, we would not have been able to... Do all that we've done in this case and fight as hard as we fought for an innocent man, you know, and an, I stress innocent man without the support of you, your audience, and and people far and wide. So thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Our pleasure to do anything we can on our end. Much appreciated, and I hope to speak in the future, hopefully in the near future, discussing hopefully more good news. Leave Arden. Same. Yeah. Defense attorney for Rabbi Usher Eisenman on the VIN News podcast.